Welcome to the Big Brew Theory Podcast, where we talk brews, news, and what you should choose. Enjoy unique insights from beverage industry experts, big and small, from startup to stardom. Get to know your favorite brews. And now your host, Andy Pedic. Welcome to the Big Brew Theory Podcast, episode 003. Today, we're talking to Dane and Dominique, the brother-sister duo that runs Four Horsemen Brewing in Kent, Washington. Odds are you haven't heard of Four Horsemen yet because it is one of the newest and smallest breweries in our state. But let me tell you without a doubt, if you're in the South Sound or Southeast King County, you need to seek these guys out. They currently only sell product out of their brewery, special events, a couple bars down south, and out of farmer's markets around the area. But they are doing some truly special stuff. From local honey, specialty grains, roasting their own grains, creating sodas, unique adjuncts, flavors, all kinds of things. These guys have got a special commitment to local products, sustainable farming, and if you go and see them, you might even see chickens, hops, all kinds of interesting things because they truly are producing right on the farm. So let's go ahead and dive in with Dane and Dominique from Four Horsemen Brewing Company in Kent, Washington. Disclaimer. The following content has been created for the listening pleasure of universal brew lovers. Our program is recorded live and unscripted. As such, any opinions or facts stated during these episodes are purely organic in conversation and personal views of the industry experts we interview. If you disagree with any stated information, please understand this program is created for the enjoyment of our listeners. We are unbiased and intend to promote the industry as a whole. If you don't like any content presented herein, please find another program rather than sending us nasty grams via comment or email. If you're among the other 99% to enjoy our show or someone who would like to contribute in any positive way, be sure to get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. Now, please enjoy the show. Okay, I'm here today with Dane and Dominique from Four Horsemen Brewery in Kent, Washington. We are sitting outside on a beautiful patio outside of their setup. We've got birds chirping in the background. It's uh, overcast, but it's a nice day for an outdoor interview. So thanks so much for being on, guys. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about Four Horsemen, how it got started. I'm Dane Scarambolo, and we started Four Horsemen Brewery in 2012, mm-hmm. but really after licensing and getting all of our ducks in a row, we started actually selling beer at Farmer's Market in 2016, so that was our way to, to start up a brewery and prior to that I had homebrewed for seven years and I actually went to WSU got a degree in viticulture and enology which is growing grapes making wine um, but I always homebrewed so that was like the, the thing that I liked to do and then eventually turned a hobby into a profession that's awesome and Dominique how about you um, so I'm Dominique Torgerson, um, Dane's sister. <laughs> um, I got involved with the brewery. It actually was in the beginning, uh, well, of 2012. Um, I was more, I mean, I, I wasn't ever a home brewer. Um, I liked helping Dane when he home brewed, but I was more the organizational person for the business. Um, I take care of all of our like tax stuff, 
um, filing, pretty much just organizing the whole behind the scenes of the business. Um, but I've always kind of dreamed of being in business with my brother, actually. It's kind of a... Really? Yeah. Actually, yeah, it's kind of a dream come true. I mean, I know a lot of people, when they talk about going into business with your family, you know, that, you know, be careful about that. But we have such similar mindsets, work ethic, that we just work really well together. I and mean, we we're get both, along. Yeah. <laughs> That's a special relationship. <laughs> it, it really is. And we've always, we've always been that way. I right. mean, we've had... Um, kids that were in our classes because he's two years younger than me but he had boys that were in his class that had sisters in my class and none of them got along but us really and it was yeah yeah, so it was always just kind of a special a special thing i mean we've always done well pretty much everything together growing up see my brother and i are best friends but he's a doctor and i make beer (laughs) <laughs> and like, I mean, growing up, we were, he was really good at math and science. I was more into like history and literature and music and art. Mm-hmm. And I played soccer and he played baseball. And, uh-huh. you know, just like yeah. I went to WSU, he went to UW. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> anyway, uh, that says enough. Yeah. But yeah, it's funny because he and his roommates uh, and his girlfriend just get so fired up to come to these festivals and help pour, and I'm just so burned out all the time. Mm-hmm. And so now it's great to have permanent volunteers because I would not mind helping out at the hospital. Uh, I've mm-hmm. been to a thousand brew festivals, yeah. uh, but but they're the best, right? That's our business. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's funny that you guys can be so similar and work together. So tell me a little bit about Four Horsemen's brew program how much do you make how many different beers do you make what kind of styles do you focus on do you, you do you kind of generalist is there any particular thing that you hang your hat on so as far as the styles we basically create styles with ingredients that are available so it's kind of having the ingredients are like the tools to be able to make the different ty- types of beer, but we're really avid on sourcing everything from Washington. And with that, we get the, I mean, IPAs are easy. We, Yakima Valley, you got your hops. The limiting factor there is the grains, where there's only two companies that make Washington-grown grains and malt them. Uh, one of them is Great Western Malting, and the other is Skagit Valley. Now, Skagit Valley is one that they're fairly new, but they have some awesome things going on where they're taking varietals of different barleys and actually they're able to grow the different types in the fields and then harvest them and malt them separate instead of just creating a blend of certain varietals and then doing floor malting. They have these huge machines that uh, they built themselves and they have patented so they're able to malt anything that's a seed you're like the third person to say this to me in the last week or two about Mm -hmm. you know the next couple of years being so exciting that the nuances of different malts are going to come into play right Mm -hmm. and be kind of that next evolution of yeah Yeah. and i i look at it as it's kind of like a step behind um like the wine industry where you look at a wine and you could definitely say um, Pinot Noir. I mean, people know what that is. Cab Sauv, they know what that is. Syrah, Merlot. They all, everybody knows what those varietals are, but can anybody do that for barley? Right. Right. I mean, th- there's there's a lot out there. I mean, we use Alba. We use Copeland, Full Pint. Um, Skagit Dark 80. Yeah, 
the dark 80 that they have. So, and what's that purple, the purple Egyptian? Oh, the, yeah, but they recalled it purple obsidian. Oh, purple obsidian? Yeah. So, so there's just so many, so many different styles. So it's taking that next level to where now Skagit Valley is starting to, to develop a terroir. Right. Where those grains grown there are going to give different characteristics to where if you were to plant those seeds out in the Palouse, like right. in eastern Washington, it's going to grow different. So, but I'm interested to see how it grows different and if that then makes it to where, well, maybe you want to source a certain varietal from eastern Washington and then a different one from Skagit Valley. Because given the fact that all the hops are coming from the same area code yeah. um, and, you know, all of the continents hops are coming from Yakima, uh, what is the, I mean, would you say that the variation between flavor and a hop is mostly when it's harvested, how it's been stored? I mean, if you grew a hop in... Pullman versus a hop in Yakima, would that taste different as well, or is it the barley for the malts that has so much nuance? Well, it's both, really. Yeah? I mean, because, yeah, hops will grow different. I mean, we even have hops that grow here. Um, I mean, it's not just, you know, that Yakima Valley, because traditionally Auburn was actually a huge hop um, hop growing valley. But okay. then, Kent also. Yeah. It seems um, like a lot of people know the hop varieties. Mm-hmm. Um, and they know, you know, fresh hop and they know yeah. seasonal, yeah. you know, conditions of yeah. recipes. But it's really interesting that that comes into play. I mean, in winemaking, like you yeah. said, you name them after the variety that you use, Cabernet, Sauvernet, mm-hmm. <laughs> Cabernet yeah. uh, Chardonnay, Merlot. Yep. And, you know, in beer, it's been typically referenced to the recipe, amber, pale, whatnot. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, I come from a cider background and in cider, it's really difficult because there is no recipe and there is no variety. I mean, once you get into the cider specific apples, which people aren't familiar with, your yeah. Gravensteins, wine saps, pippins, yep. all that, uh, you know, other than your grandma making pies, no one's really had use for those for yeah. the last 75 years. Yeah. Uh, so it's going to be really cool that there's these layered nuances of, of the malts uh, on top of the hops mm-hmm. and starting to have, like you said, that really terroir yep. uh, and Appalachian-driven you know, mm-hmm. element to, and it'll be a really cool, I mean, possibly marketing piece for the Washington uh, Brewers Association and really right. making something oh, yeah. more around the farmers because everybody just hails the hops oh, and yeah. the hop mm-hmm. festivals, yeah. but yeah. it'd be cool to have a malt festival, you know? Oh, yeah, <laughs> that, that really would. Be awesome. It'd be awesome. The uh, guys from Skagit Valley were uh, at a booth next to me at a show a couple weeks ago, and they teamed up with Bluebird Ice Cream, and they were doing malted milkshakes. Oh, and it was, really was so, oh, it oh, was awesome. Yes. It, I like, I'm still talking about it. It was Valentine's. It was Choco <laughs> Fest at Pike, uh, yes. and they just crushed it. So how about uh, some of your beers? Do you have a particular style that you would call your specialty, something that's your favorite? I would, well, the one... One of them, I guess, that really stands out is our Black Plague Stout, because when we made that, so the the thing about the the malts that are sourced in Washington is they're really still only base malts because they don't have the darker grains to where they're actually roasted. Unfortunately, if you wanted to do those darker beers, you'd have to source, for the most part, outside the state in order to get those dark grains. What we decided to do is actually roast our own grains. So basically we take the base malts, you know, they're malted, um, and then we actually roast them basically to the degree that we want. And that's actually helped what create our stout, which won best Washington malt beer last year at the Washington beer, um, beer awards. 
Really? So that one, mm-hmm. and that, and the thing is, there was only one Malt Award, which for us, I mean, it, it was huge because that was our first year selling. That was such a special award to us right. because it just showed, it reinforced everything that we were wanting to do and then achieve that goal. And is that roasting on site pretty rare? Uh, we don't know of anybody else that does it. Really? Brewers don't believe that. I haven't heard anything like that before. Actually, yeah, we, people, um, and they'll say, I'll believe it when I see it. And then they'll come over and I, I walk cause that barrel drum over there. Right. Mm -hmm. That's it. That's where I do it. Huh? So, so do you guys do any, um, any adjuncts or anything, or would you consider yourself pretty traditional styles? I mean, obviously you've got pretty cool elements of your yeah. supply chain and how you're procuring your ingredients and everything. So the adjuncts that we use, um, a lot of the styles, we source different honeys for putting in the beer instead of using a, a corn sugar or a high, well, any or like a, other um, syrups yeah. or something like that. Like there's right. for the, the stout, we actually use a buckwheat honey and that is it's like a just a dark molasses. It don't, I mean, you smell it when you open the jar. It smells like beer already. Right. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, the stout sounds like a meal. It. In that's like, the surprising thing. It's. It's not. It's. So many people actually refer to it as like a summer stout, which right? I would thought I'd never hear somebody say. But it. It is lighter. I am. I'm making an imperial stout. That's gonna be. Uh, is it still on CO2? It's not nitro? Yeah, it's on CO2. Okay. That's definitely a, a difference, too, is because we actually put it on nitrogen right. and on CO2. The nitrogen is just, it's filling. Just that creaminess that, right. that you get from it is super filling. But when it's on CO2, it becomes refreshing. So, yeah, that's a big difference. There. I always really like CO2 stouts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just not that bulky going down. Right. Yeah. You and know. that's what I like too. Guinness for days, right? But uh, yeah. <laughs> everything else, like uh, I don't know. So you guys make product in kegs. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, we we're about a three barrel system. Okay. So when everything is done fermenting, we put it into it's about an eighty five gallon bright tank for pressure carbonation. Okay. And then from there, we fill it into the kegs which we then, we've had hooked it up to our, uh, our kegerator, which fits, well, it's got eight uh, kegs in it right now between the six stoles and uh, quarter kegs because um, it can only fit about four, like, half-barrel kegs. Right. But that's how we basically distribute. I mean, we obviously take a, a half-barrel keg down to stack 571 about, like, twice a month, but we pour from basically the keg on tap. And so your main vessel for commerce is going to farmers markets and selling growlers. Yep, basically okay. different size growlers. Um, for the most part, we bring two different sizes because we have three different size bottles: the 64 growl- growlers, 32 ounce growlets, and then the 16 ounce pint to goes. The growlers don't really sell as much at the markets um, because you can't actually fill them at the markets. You have to bring everything pre-filled, so you kind of have to guess what you think is gotcha. going to sell. So we pre-fill the pint to goes, which do really the best because they're, I mean, it's a perfect size for people to buy and go. And then, you know, when they see us at the next market, they swap it out for a full one in a way of just paying for the fill, but it, you know, basically a swap program. Yeah. And then even when they get that small bottle, once they make it down to the brewery, 
then if they want to get a growler filled, we'll just trade that bottle out. You know, they right. because it's the same. We we charge the same co- uh, price for all the glassware. Yeah. So then they just pay for the difference in the volume fill. And then it's really easy for you guys to sell several different varieties because you don't have to worry about yeah. you fill the day of and head out to the market. Right. And yeah. they're all the same caps, so that makes it super nice where you're not, I don't know, different because some growlers or growlettes or whatever they have a smaller cap but these all have the same style caps yeah right so makes and it you nice. guys were telling me before we came online here that your main plan for the summer is going to be going to five or six different farmers markets each day of the week around the puget sound mm-hmm. can you break down which ones those are and where people can find you yeah. and bruce so Mondays, there are no markets. It's the only day that there's no Washington Farmer's Markets, period. Tuesday, we're going to alternate between Lakewood and Carnation. Wednesdays, we alternate between Sammamish and Stillicum Farmer's Market. Thursdays is Bremerton and North Bend. Friday, we alternate between Fife and Ording. Saturdays, right now, we've been doing Gig Harbor every other week, but starting June... 17th we start Maple Valley which we will do for their entire season and then on Sundays we're doing Mercer Island for their entire season cool. and there yeah that's a lot it is a lot <laughs> <laughs> it'll be fun though yeah and how many different varieties do you make on your main lineup I mean we have our four flagship but we do Technically, right now, well, at least we'll be releasing the Blackberry um, this Friday for our kickoff to summer party. Um, so that's technically, well... I'd say... Well, we it's have, actually six, but then we have our... We've got ten that we're going to have. Goodness. Yeah. So for our, what my sister said, our, our flagships, um, and that's our Blonde Zombie Lager, Naughty Brunette Brown Ale. Right and then our Pestilence IPA, and then our Black Plague Style. Right. Um, I'd say those are generally the ones that we like to bring to the markets just because they're all very palatable. It's not like any extremes, which when you start getting into a fresh hop or um, like an Imperial or any, even even porters. I mean, when, when people are at farmer's markets, they're not beer connoisseurs. They're there, you know, getting their vegetables or getting their other groceries or you know maybe just getting food or getting pizza a little outing with their family um so you can't count on trying to sell what you know maybe a super like double IPA yeah double IPA lover wants because people there maybe they don't even like beer but there's so many people that come up and say well you got a sample I'll try it and then they wind up liking it and say wow I didn't think I liked beer Right. So what would you say is the future of Four Horsemen? What would you like to see it grow into? Our, one of our biggest goals is to be a fully sustainable company. Yeah. We don't, there's actually another little piece of property that we've purchased that's close by, but our goal is to expand to that location but in being a fully sustainable system, we would like to basically generate our own electricity. And we have a lot of really kind of crazy but awesome ideas in regards to that. Uh, we also want to basically source using uh, rainwater 
uh, possibly uh, well water as well. But in the whole process, so even when you first mash, you know, when you when you mash your grains, what do you do with them afterwards? Most you know, most breweries might just you know throw them away or compost who knows what they. Yeah, yeah. Um, we you know we do compost some, but we've also been using it to feed um, like livestock. So we we've actually got chickens. Yeah, cool. we actually yeah. So we got chickens this last year, and so we've been feeding them the spent grains, and you know they pick through it and they they really enjoy it. They love it. Um, so that you know kind of eliminates one waste area, and then from well, then from like say with the chickens, I mean then they produce honestly like really great eggs. Um, right. Yeah. But that's really cool. Everything. I feel like I keep seeing with a lot of the small breweries that they feel like in order to enter the marketplace, they have to, I mean, first of all, in a market like Seattle, you get a break for being new and then you get a break for being local. You know, everyone within 10 miles of here has got to be obsessed with this place. And then you get the fact that, you know, they'll do something super niche where we make only IPAs or we make only Belgian style or we do a bunch of cask aging Mm -hmm. or something. And I think you guys have a really cool setup because you know, you make the traditional recipes, you use cool hops and cool grains, but it's all the way that you treat them. And like you said, rainwater and mm-hmm. your own livestock and cultivating some of your own crop. And it's it's right. very neat. The, the roasting thing is still like, I'm all over that. Um, <laughs> so in the future, you would like to become sustainable. Yeah. Uh, what, as far as commerce, do you want to do a package product someday? Do you want to start selling kegs out to restaurants? How is the financial sustainability side? That's that's kind of difficult to answer because we so going forward first. And, and wanting to be so sustainable, it'd be hard to get into. No, how how would you get into canning? Because all that is then cans then get recycled and they can't be rebuilt. We're pretty avid on being able to refill. Uh, containers. There's eliminating that step of okay, it gets recycled, then it gets, you know, crushed down, and then eventually used to reform new bottles. Why can't we just, you know, get high-tempered glass and start refilling them, right. uh, sanitize them? Um, but doing that on a large commercial scale, to where if we're just, you know, you know, ten thousand cases or something, I mean, that's a lot of glass to be able to wash through, uh, re-sterilize. Um, sanitize and fill again so we're we're not looking to like go national mm-hmm. um, but I would say I don't know probably 15 to 20 barrel system be able to supply um, enough throughout the state and wholesale kegs but as far as bottling if people want some then come to the brewery yeah and yeah. that's with the or see us at farmer's markets. Yeah, true. I like the beer first approach. Mm-hmm. The farmer's market thing is a cool commitment, and it's yeah. so much more a part of the community. Right. A lot of people get in this to have a sexy-looking can and make a lot of cash, and it's, you know, yeah. there's a lot of corners being cut, but there are a lot of great beers being made. Oh, yeah, right. for sure. This interview is among a selection that are part of our launch week for the podcast, which is in conjunction with our festival event, NanoFest. It's one of the first of its kind. I've mentioned it on other episodes, but just in case this is new, it's on May 18th, Thursday. It's two weeks from today when we're recording this. Coming up close. (laughs) And uh, it's from 6 to 10 in the evening. It's at Within Soto Venue. It's just about 10 blocks south of Safeco Field. 
I know I didn't see if there was a baseball game that night or not, but there's going to be a lot going on. There's several restaurants nearby. We've got food trucks coming. we got a couple of restaurants bringing food. It's going to be a blast, including Four Horsemen and about 20 other nano breweries. So be sure to get your tickets on Eventbrite. Use the discount code BREWLOVE for 50% off. And we'll look forward to seeing you there. It's going to be a really great time in the first of several events that highlight specialty producers like the Nano Brewers. So do you guys have any other... I really hope you bring that stout with you and we can try that at the event. <laughs> yeah. So there will be a selection of Four Horsemen there. Do you guys have any other big events or anything this summer that people should look out for? I mean, obviously there's a lot of farmer's markets. Right. Are you participating in any of the huge festivals or...? Well, we are submitting... 10 beer styles to the Washington Beer Awards. We won't be vendoring at the Murray Moore Park when they actually do the festival right. just because with how much we produce it, we would probably go through most of our stock in that one day. Right. Um, 40,000 people. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So we do plan on having different events um, like for this Friday, you know, the Cinco de Mayo um, where we're also doing like a cornhole tournament because uh, we're partnering up with All Things Fun Sports, who does a bunch of different recreational activities throughout the, well, the state. Um, and the Cornhole Tournament is actually really cool because it's, they got it to be an official qualifier for another tournament. So if you qualify, like if you win at this one, then you actually qualify for another yeah, another cornhole championship. Yeah. Wow, look at that. Yeah. But, but I mean, I, I'd say just look at our website, fourhorsemen.beer and keep up to date. So your plan yeah. is to go to the Washington Brewers Festival, win a bunch of awards, but then you still get to go around a drink rather than having to stand there and pour for two minutes. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> we're, we're just stepping aside for that. Those <laughs> are yeah. freaking brutal. I, I, I can only oh, imagine. Like the, uh, you know, Bite of Seattle and Fremont and Kirkland <laughs> Oktoberfest. I mean, it's yeah. Friday from like noon until midnight, and then it's Saturday from 10 until 11 at night, and then it's Sunday again, and I've done several of those where it was just me for 12 hours yeah. and then yeah. again and again and you just, oh, you wish you could just cruise. Um, but the uh, the Washington Brewers Association does a fantastic job and obviously Marymore Park is the pinnacle event of the year uh, mm-hmm. for the brew community. Sure. Uh, among their like 10 events now, I saw last week they did the first ever Tri-Cities uh, Brew Festival uh, that oh. was a part of Wobble. Um, anyhow, is there any... Uh, any closing remarks, check out fourhorsemen.beer. Yep. See where you guys are going to be. Yep. Come out to the farmer's markets around yep. the valley in the South yep. Sound. Yep. We've uh, got our calendar on the, the website, so we'll yeah. just update and that. I, and look I do at keep it. posting the calendars with every farmer's market day and anything that we have going on. Right. So, and I guess uh, I do another thing I would like to mention with um, events, we really like doing fundraisers and that. Um, I know a lot of companies, they, they charge for venue location, but we um, we don't charge for having fundraisers here. You know, we still make our beer sales, but fundraisers or something, you know, we want them to to make their yeah, fundraising goals. Their goal. sure. So we, well, the fundraisers that we've had here so far were, I mean, they were really good. So we, we really enjoy it. I just, I like doing events in general. Yeah, so right. Just a lot of fun. So look for these guys uh, around... The summer, um, if you're in the Auburn, Kent, Covington, Maple Valley area, there's Cinco de Mayo. That's tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this yep. won't publish by then. Uh, <laughs> That's all right. But uh, you'll have plenty of time to come and see them at NanoFest. Dane and Dominique will have a selection of their brews. I'll be the guy in the corner pounding the stout. 
<laughs> since it's a charity event and the breweries are donating the product, we're only allowed to do like three ounce pours, so I'll probably need a tray of them. Yeah. But uh, that'll be great. Taste, taste fresh. Uh, anyhow, thanks so much for having me out here, guys. I'm going to take some photos. They'll be on the site with the post here, and you can get a in-depth tour of Four Horsemen Brewery. Thanks so much. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Big Brew Theory Podcast. We'll see you next week with more of the best local brews and news. Cheers.